0: Back in episode 44, I shared the story that drives me, in which I talked about Kelly, an assistant principal who was overwhelmed with discipline. I visited her around 10 o'clock on a spring morning in her rural elementary school in South Carolina, and she already had seven office referrals. When I asked Kelly how many of those referrals reflected teacher problems more than kid problems, she said five. The bad news was that there were five kids getting in trouble who shouldn't be getting in trouble, and that Kelly was overwhelmed and prevented from doing her job of developing teachers. The good news was that if we could find a way to get Kelly into those teachers' classrooms, we could stop the cycle. The best news is there's a way to help those teachers with minimal cost, minimal training, and minimal effort hello colleagues and welcome to the assistant principal podcast i'm your host dr frederick busky we are all on a leadership journey every day we have a chance to grow every day we have a chance to help others grow my goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader a leader who puts people before purpose who solves problems instead of treating symptoms and who understands the difference between progress and action through this podcast my daily email and virtual programs i'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better today i'm celebrating that i'm actually putting into words an idea that's been kicking around in my head for many years The idea being the focus of this episode on how we can dramatically improve life for many teachers, kids, and school leaders without spending a lot of money or even investing large amounts of time. I'm also celebrating that I'm recording this at all. This show is a minimally viable presentation of my idea, and I almost didn't share it because I wanted it to be more polished. I wanted a big PowerPoint presentation and visuals and handouts and all that stuff, but I just don't have time. So I've overcome my own perfectionist nature just to share my thoughts and get it out there. I coordinated new teacher support programs for seven years in Northwest Ohio. And much of that support was directed in helping new teachers establish sound classroom management practices. Throughout my time as a university professor, I continued to do workshops with practicing teachers on classroom management, especially on developing, teaching, and reinforcing classroom procedures. At the same time, my work in principal licensure programs at Western Carolina and Clemson universities provided me with lots of opportunities to have conversations with principals, assistant principals, and aspiring assistant principals. And classroom management was always a big theme. So after years of working with and listening to new and veteran teachers and school administrators, I believe that there's a way forward that is relatively simple, requires very small investments in new resources and very small investments in new knowledge. In fact, my goal with this podcast is to give you the foundational elements of an approach to improving classroom management throughout your school that you could begin to act on tomorrow. My plan is to outline 10 steps that you can use to make classroom management and some discipline practices in your school run more smoothly. I think the best way to use the content in this podcast is to share this podcast with your teachers and with everybody involved in classroom management and discipline in your school. As you listen, imagine sitting down with your teachers and hearing everything that's in here And being able to have a really critical discussion about classroom management and discipline. I'm advocating for sharing this podcast with people because it's a lot easier to have an open and honest discussion about what a third-party person like me is saying and a third-party person who's not in the room is saying. And this is important. I'm not in the room. And because it's not content that anybody In the room you or any of your teachers is necessarily invested in you can have a much more open dialogue which is essential to establishing the kind of environment that i'm talking about so as we get into this just imagine that you're sitting in the room with your teacher and administrator colleagues listening to this together and then having the discussion on the value of what you've just heard In my work with new and veteran teachers and administrators over the past 25 to 30 years, I've seen some consistent problems regarding classroom management and school discipline, but I've also seen some consistent solutions. So I've stolen 10 ideas from teachers and leaders in schools where they're doing a great job with classroom management. And I've I've put these 10 ideas into a package, that I think can be relatively easily implemented and yet lead to dramatic improvement in teachers' abilities to manage their classrooms and to decrease discipline referrals. As we get started, I'll offer a few caveats. So the first thing is that this is just my take on things. You work in a really different context. Your experiences are different. So. Feel free to disagree with anything I say, but I also invite you to play with the ideas and to interrogate your own reactions and those of your colleagues and to think, what if this worked and how would this look? How does this need to change in order to work in our school? Okay, the first two of the 10 steps are focused on helping to build common understanding and shift mindsets. So the first thing to do is to make clear some definitions. First is the difference between management and discipline. Management is about tasks. It's low stakes and power lies with the teacher. Management activities generally are simple and reoccur every day. In contrast, discipline is about safety, not tasks. That's both physical and emotional safety. And discipline's high stakes. And in discipline, usually the power will lie with the administration. Discipline issues are inherently complex and singular. We also need to define punishment. So punishment, specifically in behavioral terms, is a consequence that decreases the likelihood of a behavior occurring again. This is really important. The idea of punishment is that it decreases the likelihood of the behavior. So if a student hates school, suspending them for cutting class is not a punishment. If a student doesn't like a teacher, removing them from class is not a punishment. And if a student sees themselves as incapable academically, giving the student an F is not a punishment. Another term we need to understand is retribution. Retribution is defined as something that's taken from or inflicted on someone else for a wrong. In other words legal revenge. And when we apply retribution, the impact on future behavior is irrelevant. Finally, we need to think about consequences. And consequences are a reasonable outcome based on a specific action or behavior that someone takes. One of the big challenges that we have is that by default, our discipline systems are focused on the what of behavior, not the why. So a student commits an offense, we go into our matrix, we see what that offense was, and then we line up the consequence or result based on the offense. And the problem is that that is all focused on what and not why. So from a mindset and perspective shift, one of the big things that we have to do in addition to clarifying and agreeing on the language and the difference between management and discipline is that we have to move from focusing on the what to focusing on the why. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. The other thing that we need to do is to shift our perspective about discipline. And I'm reminded of my own experiences and So many times being so offended when kids broke down in their procedures or when they said something that was offensive or they didn't engage in the activities that I had worked so hard to prepare them, to prepare for them. And so there were a lot of times where I took student misbehavior personally. I took it as an affront to, to me, to my preparation and to my effort. And when that happened, I engaged my emotions and I get angry at kids And in those instances, what happened was I wasn't concerned with consequences as much as retribution. I had kids that hurt me or I felt hurt by their actions. And so at a certain level, whether I acknowledged it to myself or not at the time, I actually wanted them to hurt too. And that's the idea of retribution. And we have some of that in schools. And so maybe the hardest part of this whole thing is For us to pull our emotions out of student behaviors, whether we're talking about procedural issues in classroom management, or we're talking about larger discipline issues, we need to take our emotions out. And we need to understand that in the vast majority of situations, it's not about us. Kids do not act out, misbehave because of us. It's all of the other stuff that's going on. And so taking ourselves out of it, knowing that misbehaviors and problems are not focused on us. And that allows us then to think more clearly and to begin to focus on the why of the behavior instead of the what of the behavior. Steps three and four of my 10 steps focus on managing the classroom. So we've already determined that management is something that happens on a daily basis. It's task focused, low stakes, the power lies with the teacher, and these are simple and recurring events. So step three is having us build good classroom procedures, learning how to teach and to reinforce those procedures, and learning how to support students who struggle with following through, because there are always students who are going to struggle with following procedures. Now, every procedure should include specific goals of why we're developing the procedure. It should have a title or a name, one to five steps to complete the procedure. It should have keywords for each step. Ideally, there's an acronym for that procedure so that it's easy for kids to remember, and it should be posted. And where we have teachers that haven't mastered or haven't been taught how to teach and reinforce procedures, we need to be with them as leaders. And simply handing a new teacher who's overwhelmed with everything a set of procedures and say, try this, that's not good enough. We need to be partners in helping teachers learn how to do procedures. We need to be with them in co-teaching those procedures. We need to model what reinforcement looks like and teach them the specific strategies behind reinforcing a procedure and help them think through and prepare for working with the students that we know or predictably are going to struggle with implementing whatever procedure it is. And step four, we as school leaders need to monitor implementation we need to check for fidelity, and we need to be able to customize observation formats for observing the degree of implementation for any specific procedure. We need to be able to get into classrooms and watch implementation and then use those customized observation protocols to capture data that is meaningful and is going to help us sit down with teachers and see where procedures are working and where they're breaking down. And these steps three and four of building those procedures and helping teachers master the teaching and reinforcement of those procedures, that's absolutely key. Because when we have a school full of teachers who can manage their classroom, we're going to have happier teachers. We're going to have happier students. And guess what? You as a school leader are going to have fewer discipline issues to deal with. And then that just creates a cycle where you will actually have more time and more opportunity to invest with teachers in instructional areas and in addressing the actual why behind student misconduct when we have discipline situations. And that takes us to steps five through seven, which are focused on the response to a discipline event. And one of the things that's absolutely critical in this is that we should not blend management with discipline. If a kid is not following procedures for sharpening a pencil or coming to the front of the room for carpet time or handing in papers or entering class, those are procedural things. Kids should not get in trouble, except in very extreme cases, kids should not get in trouble for breaking down procedures. There are strategies that we should use and have in place for reinforcing procedures and for giving kids support so that they can successfully execute whatever procedure we need them to do. So one of our big challenges right now that I see in many schools is that when kids break down procedurally, we move that into a discipline framework and breakdown in procedures is not a discipline issue. Remember, by and large, discipline issues are focused on safety, on physical and emotional safety. So as we start thinking about discipline, I want you to imagine an iceberg, and I call this the behavioral iceberg. And we can think about a discipline issue as what happens before the issue, what happens during the issue, and then what happens afterwards. we tend to get pretty focused on again on the what what happens and you can think of that as being the tip of the iceberg but what's more important and more substantial is what's under the water the bottom of the iceberg and that's the before because before any discipline issue arises there were other things that happened and again the thing that we need to do is to move from focusing on the tip of the iceberg which is the behavior the what to focusing on the bottom of the iceberg, which is the before or the why. Now, how do we do that? We do that in the after. And so the after takes into account the entire iceberg, not just one section. Now, as we start to frame discipline this way, what it means is that we know some there's a, some history that leads to a specific outburst. And when dealing with the outburst, we can focus on some mitigation strategies that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Because what we have to have confidence in is that the afterwards, the after the event, is the process that's going to get it why and is going to help make sure that things don't repeat. So I think one of the things we do typically right now is we invest a lot of energy into what's happening during the event. And maybe not as much energy Sorry, assistant principals, don't mean to offend you with that. I know you invest a lot of time, but sometimes we don't invest the energy on the why after the event. And so what we want to do is invest less energy during the event and then more of our time and energy afterwards. And again, if we've done a better job with classroom management and we're not sending kids to the principal's office because of a procedural breakdown, we should have more time to be more thorough in looking at that entire behavioral iceberg. The other framework that follows the behavioral iceberg is the, I don't know, I'll call it the discipline discipline event matrix. So we can think of kind of two elements to discipline. First, is it non-disruptive or disruptive? And the second issue, is it non-safety and safety? So I know I said that largely discipline is a safety issue, but we are gonna have times where things break down and What really is a procedural issue is probably going to move into a discipline issue. And a good example of that might be a kid that is consistently checking out of class, putting their head down and sleeping or just not doing anything and being very non-compliant. And in a case like that, when we look at that discipline matrix, we know that this kid is, they're not being disruptive and it's really not a safety issue, but it is a behavior that we're going to have to address afterwards. And that's the key here. There are a lot of situations that we don't really need to confront at the time, but we need to invest much more time in afterwards. So the main strategy that I would teach teachers to use when a student is being non-disruptive and it's a non-safety issue is to actually ignore the behavior. Now I can imagine some people saying, wait a minute, you can't just let a kid put their head down. And I'm gonna argue that in the moment, yes, you can. Because what I don't wanna do is to take a non-disruptive, non-safety behavior issue, and I don't want to put myself into it and actually elevate it to the point where it becomes a disruptive safety issue. And the best way to do that is to ignore the behavior. And we're talking about the during phase. So I'm gonna ignore that behavior during class, but after class, that's where then we're going to intervene. And we're gonna figure out why is this kid putting their head down? And we will do things after class that will address that why so that the behavior will not reoccur. The second kind of behavior that we can have then in this matrix is we can have something that's a disruptive behavior, but not really a safety issue. And so again, this might be something where our procedures actually do bleed into discipline. So if we have a student who is purposefully trying to sabotage a lesson by calling out and asking questions that really aren't relevant, they're breaking... They're probably breaking the procedures that we've set in place for how you ask questions and what's appropriate in a whole class discussion, but they're doing this really intentionally. And and so it's getting to the point where it's disrupting class. And so when things are disruptive, but they're not safety issues, the strategies that we want to use focus on diffusing the situation, on de-escalating the situation. Again, we do not want to make a situation worse by the way that we confront a behavior. So if we can use strategies to diffuse it, then we're going to be much more successful. And again, the consequences are going to be applied after the event. If we have a kid that's trying to sabotage class, that is definitely something that there need to be consequences for, but we want to administer those consequences after class, not during, in the middle of class. Because we can run into the same problem with this disruptive non-safety behavior as with the non-disruptive non-safety behavior in that it's possible that our response actually makes things worse. So disruptive non-safety work to diffuse the situation. And then finally, there's the one that we don't want to face at all. We hope we don't have in our classrooms. And that's the disruptive safety issue, the true discipline challenge. And the goal in those situations is to contain. Again, we don't want to make anything worse. So when some when there is a safety issue in class, then we need to do these things. We be calm, assume that everything is being recorded. Redirect the people around you and create a space that creates safety for all the participants, all the students in the classroom, and also take some of the pressure off the situation. We determine a threat level, and we know who to ask for for help. So introducing this discipline matrix helps teachers respond to discipline or potential discipline issues in ways that are constructive, not destructive. And again, the big thing that this hinges on is teachers having faith and knowing that after the event, we will do some serious work with students in making sure that these things don't repeat. Because if we know that there is going, there are reasonable, rational consequences occurring after the event, it makes it a lot easier for us to stay calm and deal with things in ways that don't escalate. Steps eight through nine are focused on that afterpiece. what happens after there's a discipline issue. Step eight is making sure that there is some sort of a process in place for how we deal with discipline issues not every single discipline issue has to go to administration. For example, that student that's putting the head down. At the end of class, that doesn't need to be something that goes to the principal's office. And so we need a process in place that supports teachers and makes clear what the steps are that we need to go through before a student goes to administration. Now, if it's a safety issue, of course, Some of those steps are going to be skipped and a student may go straight to the administrator for a serious offense. But in other cases, we can have a process that goes something like on a first event conference with the student, talk to them, find out what's going on and make clear the expectations. If it happens again, we have another conference, we can have a contract, we can do parent outreach and let parents know. And so what we want is to make sure that all of these steps have gone have been gone through before we involve school leaders. This does a couple things. First, it involves people in the situation that need to be involved. The kid needs to be involved in figuring out the solution to their own problem. Parents should know what's going on. If we've got a kid that is in risk of going to the office and is engaging in behaviors that are undermining their academic success. Parents need to be part of that, and parents can be effective partners in helping kids turn around their behaviors. And finally, when we follow these steps, we alleviate some of the pressure on our school leaders who aren't dealing with discipline that didn't need to come to them, which again gives them that time to look at that entire iceberg and focus more investment with kids on what happened before the behavior so that we can actually get to root causes and help students be able to make better decisions in the future. Step nine is about embedding restorative discipline practices into your MTSS framework. So anytime that there's a serious discipline issue, we have elements in place so that the kids that were victims and the kids that were perpetrators can be made whole. And finally, step 10 is building in non-consequential alternatives for supporting kids who are highly stressed and struggling. There are kids who we know are prone to blowing up, are prone to making bad decisions. And most of the time, we can make some reasonable predictions about when that's going to happen, and we can get some signals of when the stress is getting to a level where a kid's going to blow. There are structures and supports that we can build in to help alleviate that pressure so that kids have places to go or people to talk to without it becoming a disciplined situation. And I put these non-consequential alternatives as the 10th step because these are things that we actually develop after a behavioral incident in order to help make sure that we don't have future problems. Okay. That's a lot. And I probably went a little bit more deeply than what I had intended to do. But remember there, there are 10 steps, 10 things that we could do to improve classroom management and discipline and lead to happier teachers, happier kids, and administrators who have more time to focus on supporting and growing teachers. We can establish common language around concepts like discipline, punishment, and management. We can develop healthy perspectives in ourselves as teachers and leaders about why students struggle and how they manage their behavior. We can stay calm when bad things happen. We can build good classroom procedures, learn how to teach and reinforce them, and how to support students who struggle with following through. As leaders, we can monitor implementation of procedures through sound observation protocols, and then working with teachers to provide that extra support where it's needed. We can learn to look at student misconduct through the lens of the iceberg, understanding that What's really important is what happens before and what happens after a behavioral problem. We can learn to think about specific student issues through those four quadrants and to respond to them appropriately so that we're never escalating or making things worse. And once we understand those four quadrants, we can then develop clear strategies that are appropriate for working with students' misbehaviors depending on which quadrant they're located in. We can develop and implement processes so that we know that kids are going to be part of the solution in their own challenges that we're going to enlist parents and that we take as many efforts as we can before we send kids to the office. We can embed restorative practices into our MTSS framework. And finally, we can build non-consequential alternatives for students who are highly stressed and struggling. So what would be the challenges to implementing these things? And I'm just going to focus these challenges on the front end where we're talking about procedures. I think most people would welcome having a shared understanding of the concepts of management, discipline, and punishment. And I've just handed them to you either to adopt or adjust or replace. So that first step really should be easy. Now, getting the right mindset might be a challenge. We're all stressed. Everyone's stressed right now. And so many things that aren't personal, like negative student behaviors, can feel personal. Still, having the common language and the common framework should help that. And then we need to support and be present for each other and remind ourselves, when students misbehave, it's not about us. I think learning how to build good procedures is actually pretty simple, and there's so many resources out on the internet and all kinds of places that you should be able to grab a solid set of classroom procedures for free if you don't want to build your own. And now for the hard part. We need to get better at teaching teachers how to implement, teach, and reinforce classroom procedures. It isn't enough to hand an overwhelmed teacher a procedure and say, use this. We need to be able to model, to co-teach, and then to follow up with specific observations to determine where procedures are breaking down. We need to be able to help teachers anticipate where the problems will be and how to use three different tiers of feedback to build students' competencies for following procedures. And then to do that, we need to be able to find a time, which means school leaders, as school leaders, we have to get better at managing our priorities. And this is the most difficult aspect of the plan. School leaders, remember, as a teacher introducing a set of procedures into your classroom can be stressful. And if you don't have a lot of experience with procedures, it can feel risky. So the ability of school leaders to bring that support, that encouragement, that's the tipping point that will make all of this work. If you listen to the show regularly, you know i like to ask listeners to go implement something they've heard from the podcast here's what i would like you to do share this podcast share it with some of your teachers and your staff and then schedule a time to discuss it and talk about the 10 points that i've outlined if you and your teachers would like to proceed to take action email me seriously if there's someone out there who wants to use these concepts to improve their school I'll provide you with the materials and some training videos for free, but only if you share shared this with your teachers or at least a pilot group of teachers. And if they think it's a good idea, if they think it's worth investing time and attention on, I don't know if this is a harebrained idea on my part. Like it just seems to make sense to me, but I also know that everybody's busy and things are crazy. So, Honestly, I'm taking a little bit of emotional risk in putting this idea out there and in a sense, letting you vote on it. If this resonated with you, please email me and let me know at frederick at And if you share it with your teachers, let me know how they respond. And again, if it's something you want to move forward with, I will provide you with whatever supports I can, no cost. I just want to see things get better, and I think this is a simple way to do it, much better than spending $90 million on a mandated statewide literacy training. Oops, did I really say that? Anyway, thank you for including me on your leadership journey. I hope to hear from you soon. Again, you can email me at frederick at FrederickBusky.com. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. I hope to hear from you soon. Cheers.